Well, we began a new series together last week where we began talking about this idea of growth, this idea of change, uh, that Jesus is calling us all to what we're calling forward motion, uh, to becoming different kinds of people, towards taking steps, uh, towards being uh, a new kind of person, the kind of person that Jesus is calling us to be. We said last week that God loves you just the way that you are, uh, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants to make you just like Jesus, that's the goal. That you look back at the end of 2015, you'd be a more generous kind of person, you'd be a more forgiving person, uh, you'd be a less bitter person, uh, you'd be more open with your time, your resources, uh, that we, we begin to look more and more like Jesus. How many of us uh, do New Year's resolutions? Any New Year's resolutions, folks? Uh, how many of us have kept the New Year's resolutions? Anybody so far? Doing pretty good? All right, never mind. new series we're starting today. Uh, <laughs> Doing a new series called Staying Put, uh, <laughs> Enjoying Life the Way It Is. Uh, we, uh, but, but the goal is that even if you don't do New Year's resolutions, uh, that over the course of this year, you'd begin to take steps towards being a different kind of person. We said last week uh, that uh, we begin in fear oftentimes, that we come into a relationship with God. For many people, it starts in fear, but it's not, we're not designed to stay there. We're, we're supposed to move forward to become uh, the kind of person that John says is, is experiencing this perfect love uh, that casts out fear. And so we talked about growth and, and becoming a different kind of person. I think our usual tendency, if you're anything like me especially, uh, when it comes to figuring out how we're doing as a Christian, is to begin to look around us and see how everybody else is doing. And we usually, to feel good about ourselves, we'll look behind us at somebody who's not as far along as we are, and we'll say, well, I might struggle with this, but at least I'm not as bad as they are. I might have this uh, thing, but at least I'm not addicted to that. At least, I, at least I've never done that. I, maybe I didn't uh, go to church then, you know, but, but you know, I went on four mission trips this year. You know? we, we tend to uh, look behind us as a way to, to, to remind ourselves, oh, I'm doing pretty good. At least I'm not as bad as they are. Or uh, we, we tend as well to look ahead of us it's somebody who's further along than we are. This is why for many Christians, uh, we can experience toxic levels of shame and pride at the same time. Because we can look ahead of us at somebody who's further along and go, well, you know, I'm not as good at, at you know, generosity as they are. I, I haven't read through the whole Bible like they have. I don't go to life group every, you know, I'm not as good of a Christian as they are. Uh, we, we can look ahead of us at people that we feel like are doing better and begin to feel a sense of shame. Uh, I grew up in a house, I think I mentioned this last week, where uh, I went to a private Christian school for a couple years, and I have an older brother, and he's a couple years older than I am, and at this Christian school that we went to, uh, one year he won the award for being most Christ-like, uh, which was an actual award that, which they gave away. If you were the most Christ-like person, they voted on this, and he won the award. There was nothing more miserable than being the little brother of the most Christ-like guy at school. I mean, that's just, you don't wanna hear that every day from your parents. Uh, but he, uh, he won this award, which I thought was kind of an ironic award. Every day I was like, you know, you won the first place for following the guy who says the first or last. You better give that award back, man. Like, <laughs> get off that list. That joke has a slow burn. You'll get it at lunch. It's gonna be hilarious, though. Uh, you know, you don't wanna be on that list. You know, your first place for, for following, you know, the guy who says the first or last. Really? They give that award away? I'm actually more spiritual by not winning the award, apparently. Uh, but, but there's nothing, we, we have people in our lives that we look at and they're more Christ-like. Sometimes they win awards for it. Uh, and we can begin to look at them and say, well, I'm not doing as good as they are. 
But in, in the scriptures, uh, what we begin to realize is, is that we're not supposed to look around us, we're supposed to look down at our own feet. And the question is not how's everybody else doing, the question is how are you doing? And what's the next step that you are supposed to take as a disciple of Jesus? What's the next step that you're being invited to take on this journey of following God and becoming more like Jesus? Whether you've been following Jesus for 80 years, uh, there's still room for growth. There's still room to become more like Christ. And what's the next step that you're supposed to take? If you've been following Christ for 10 minutes, uh, what's the step? Maybe for some of us, just to be in a church building this year is a huge step. And to come back next week and to come back and begin to ask more questions about God, that's the step in the journey that you are supposed to take. Uh, this idea of journey is all throughout the scripture. This idea of taking steps is all throughout the scriptures. I wanna take a look at a story today in Exodus. We're gonna jump around the scriptures a little bit, but we're gonna start in the book of Exodus, chapter three, and we're gonna walk through some passages in Exodus, and then we're gonna work our way to the New Testament. If you have a Bible, Exodus chapter three is where we're gonna start. Genesis, Exodus, right there in the very... Uh, beginning or close to the beginning, Exodus chapter three. Now, one of the uh, questions that people often ask is how did the stories about God begin to be formed? Why, is the, why are these stories recorded? The people of Israel, the Jewish people, uh, how do these stories get put down on paper? How did this become recorded in the form that we have it? And uh, obviously, uh, the, the story of how the scriptures are formed uh, after the life of Christ, after the resurrection of Jesus, uh, the New Testament church begins to rally and assemble some letters that Paul has written. Uh, but thousands of years before that, uh, for, for many, they believe that uh, the story that we're gonna look at today was where the Jewish people's identity began to be forged and formed. That while the scriptures begin in Genesis, uh, the story of the nation of Israel uh, being called out of slavery in Egypt, this is central for their identity and the kind of people uh, that they're going to become. So, so this is, in many ways, it's the beginning of the story uh, for the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. And the story is that they are in slavery, they're in bondage, and a guy named Moses is in a land called Midian. He's on the run. He's been on the run for a while. And God shows up in the form of a burning bush and begins to talk to him. And so uh, Moses listens and decides to hear God out, and God gives him uh, some work to do. And here's the story, Exodus chapter three. We'll start together in verse seven. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. Right there, there's this revolutionary idea that God hears the cries of his people. He notices when they are in a desperate place. Verse eight, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And he tells Moses, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And so what begins for the nation of Israel, what begins for the people of God is a 40-year journey. And God meets them, God finds them through Moses in a place called Egypt. 
So they are in an actual geographical location uh, that you can still go to this day, and they are headed somewhere. God is carrying them on a journey that's going to take 40 years, and he's going to lead them to a place called Israel. And it's going to be a 40-year step-by-step journey and wandering through the wilderness to get where God is calling them to go. They are on a journey in a geographical sense. God meets them in a land called Egypt. In a spiritual sense, what does the scripture say? They're not just in Egypt, they're actually in misery, is what the scriptures say. I have heard the cries of my people in misery in Egypt. And so God meets them, not just in a geographical low place, but in a spiritual condition. And he says, I want to carry you out of this and begin to carry you into something good, step by step, we are going to leave misery. It's not just about a geographical piece of land, it's about a spiritual condition that God is calling them out of. The story continues, they leave uh, the, they leave slavery. There's about 10 plagues that go in motion. There's a parting of the Red Sea. And then the Israelites find themselves wandering the wilderness. Uh, God takes them out into the wilderness for some object lessons. And this journey continues. About a 40-year process begins. And they're about two and a half months in on a 40-year journey, and things start to go wrong. The wheels start to come off of uh, the chariots, I guess. Here we go. Verse 16, or uh, Exodus chapter 16. Skip ahead a few pages to verse one. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and they came to the desert of Sin, which in Hebrew translates Las Vegas, which is between (laughs) Elam and Sinai. I'm gonna have to look that one up. On the 15th day, of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. So they're two and a half months in on a 40 year journey. In the middle of the, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Aaron is Moses' brother who's helping him lead this journey. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And so God has called them out of misery. He's called them out of Egypt, but now they're somewhere else. Now they find themselves in mystery. Now they're in the wilderness, and the question is, we don't know what we're gonna eat. How, we're actually gonna have to trust God every day. What's the plan? We believe God has called us out of this, but there, there begins to be this sense in the crowd, we would rather just go back to slavery and bondage than be in the middle of this wilderness where we don't know where our next meal is coming from. We would rather go back to misery than have to be in mystery, at least it was comfortable, at least it was familiar, at least we knew that we were gonna have food on the table. Uh, There is something in all of us, it's in me, and I would imagine it's in you as well, that often prefers the miserable place to the mysterious place. That pattern, that way of life, it might have been addicting, it might have been destructive, it might have been death dealing, but at least I didn't have to trust God. That relation, it might not have been any good for me, 
but at least I, at least it was, at least I knew what to expect every day. There is something in all of us that on this journey of being called forward towards being different kinds of people where we will often prefer just to go back into a destructive pattern and way of life, even if it was miserable, because at least we don't, at least we don't have to trust God. At least it was familiar. How many of us, you've met someone, uh, you have a friend, or perhaps you've said this, well, I know I'm not gonna marry him, I know I'm not gonna marry her, I know the relationship's not really good for me, uh, but at least I don't have to be alone. I would rather be in the miserable place than the mysterious place. How many of us, uh, you have stayed in jobs that you can't stand? You, you have remained in places uh, where you come home every day from work and your wife or your husband, uh, they, they become miserable because you talk about how miserable it is. And, and, and at least, uh, you know, you say things like, well, I know it's not what I'm supposed to do with my life. I know it's not what my purpose is. I know it's not fulfilling. I know it's making me miserable, but at least I don't have to trust God and begin to ask questions about what I'm supposed to do with my time and myself in this world. It might not be what I'm supposed to do, but, but at least I don't have to trust God. <laughs> Often we will find ourselves remaining in something that is miserable and death dealing, uh, an addiction, a pattern, a way of life. At least I don't have to begin to become somebody different. But the reality is, to get where God is calling us to go, to become the kind of person that God wants us to be, we have to begin to do some things that we've never done. We have to begin to find ourselves on some unfamiliar ground and, and beginning to put in motion pattern. The question's not necessarily, where do you want to go? What's your goal? What kind of person do you want to be? The question is, what are the things that you're doing? What new ways are you inviting God into your life? What new ways and patterns are you trusting God with? What are the things that you're doing that you've never done? Because to get where we need to go, we have to begin to stand on some unfamiliar ground. And there will always be this longing it's called the sinful nature that pulls us back into destructive patterns and ways of life. Uh, one of the grossest passages of scripture in the entire Bible uh, says this, in the same way, a dog returns to their vomit, a fool returns to their folly. Don't you love when you read passages of the scripture? It's like, well, God, tell me how you really feel. As a dog returns, do you think there was this moment on Noah's ark where Noah saw the dogs doing this and thought, God, there's a design flaw here. And God thought, leave it. That's gonna make a brilliant metaphor later. That's gonna save some people a lot of heartache. That's gonna save people some pain. We always have this desire and tendency to want to go back to something. But dogs go backwards. We are called to go forwards towards being a different kind of person, the kind of person that Jesus has called us to be. And we will often find ourselves on mysterious ground unfamiliar territory, a mysterious place where we have to trust God day after day after day to get where God is trying to get us to go. We often prefer the miserable place over the mysterious place. Well, one of the big questions for the people of God is what are we going to eat? Which I think is a really good question. What is the plan? Uh, how are we going uh, to put food on the table, and Moses and God uh, strike up this deal. In verse four, it says that Moses, uh, the Lord says to Moses, Yahweh says to Moshe, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. So I'm gonna send bread down from heaven. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. 
In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. And so this, this thing called manna comes down from the sky. It literally meant, what is it? That's what the name manna means. Uh, what is it? That's what it translates. We, we have no idea, but we're gonna have to eat this. It was a, a type of coriander seed, according to the book of Numbers, a uh, type of oatmealish mush kind of cafeteria foodish kind of thing. Uh, but they, they uh, eat this on the journey for 40 years. Moses said to them, or excuse me, verse, uh, yeah, verse 19. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. Verse 20 of Exodus chapter 16. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and it began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. And so you can't stockpile manna. You can't save it. You can't stuff some extra money or some extra uh, manna into your pockets. You actually have to trust God that every day that you wake up on this journey of going where he's called you to go, that he is going to give you exactly what you need on the journey to get there. You actually have to trust God. And Moses is presented over and over when you read this story. Uh, he's, he's like Clark Griswold on the Egyptian vacation. I mean, he's just exhausted. He's just, they won't listen to him. At times he's frustrated, doesn't want to listen to them. Uh, he, Moses is often presented kind of like that dad that you see at Disneyland who's just passed out on a park bench. Uh, have you seen that dad before? Have you been that dad before? The dad that has three fanny packs strapped to him and just, you know, just, just wants to go back home. Uh, because when you wear a fanny pack, you're telling the world, I mean business. I need both hands free at all times, you know. I imagine Moses wore a fanny pack uh, with some gluten-free manna in there and some other, other kinds of things. But he's on this journey with the Israelites, carrying them forward, and they eat manna every day. Manna a la mode, burnt-in manna, manna casserole. I'm sure they got creative with the kinds of manna that they can make. Well, after 40 years of this, 40 years of wandering in the desert and becoming and heading where God is calling them to go, they get towards the end of the journey, and now you have people that have been born not even remembering the original man a miracle. They are just used to this waking up every day. God's just providing. And, and Moses stops them before they get uh, to, uh, into the promised land. And Moses is about to die. And he tells them uh, this in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Skip over to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put it on the screens as well. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2. He says this. Remember, this is before they enter into Israel and the promised land. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so Moses is telling him, it was about bread, but it wasn't really about bread. 
It was about bread at one level that they needed to eat, but at a deeper level, it was about relying and depending on God. Is he actually going to provide for us every step of this journey? And Moses is calling them to remember the God who has been faithful with them to carry them where he intends for them to go. It's about bread, but it's not really about bread. Apparently for God, it really isn't about the destination, it really is about the journey. It really is, are you going to continue to walk forward towards going and, and heading where God is calling you to be every step of the journey? Uh, for some of us, we find ourselves in today, in the moments, in the wilderness, and there's this longing like the Israelites to go backwards perhaps to a better time, to yesterday, and you find yourself in today, uh, but maybe you found yourself uh, placed in the land between and it wasn't by your choice. It wasn't a New Year's resolution. The doctor called and said, I need to see you as soon as possible. Your uh, dad set you down and said, uh, the family's moving at the end of the school year, pack your bags, we're heading somewhere. We're, 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 and you find yourself in today and there's this longing just to go back to yesterday, maybe the boss set you down, said your position has been eliminated. And there's this long, you find yourself standing on terrain that is very unfamiliar. And you find yourself in today, but there's this longing in your heart just to go back to yesterday. There's this sense, uh, that, that was when God was actually with us. That was the good times, college, whatever the time was. And we often can get stuck in yesterday and we fail to see the new thing that God is trying to do and the new ways he's inviting us to trust him in today. And oftentimes we get stuck in the moments of yesterday, like the Israelites, we just wanna go back, but God is actually, even if you're in today, and there's a sense of I wanna go back to the way things were, God has actually called you into the land between, and it's not necessarily something that he wanted or not necessarily something that uh, you wanted, but God can use it to begin to carry you somewhere. And it doesn't mean that God has led you into the wilderness just to stay there. In our culture, the wilderness is often this metaphor for death, for pain, for hardship. But in the Bible, the wilderness is always a necessary path that God takes people through to get them where he wants them to be. And you may, found, you may find yourself today flung in the land between and it wasn't by choice, and you're standing on very unfamiliar ground with a sense of, I just wanna go back to yesterday, but God hasn't led you into the wilderness, into today, to kill your faith. He's actually led you there to grow it. And the wilderness is a place of fertile soil. It's not a barren land in the Bible. This is a necessary road that God carries people through to get them where he wants them to go. And there might be a longing for yesterday to go back to the way things are, but today, God is sustaining you and providing for you in new ways, just like he was for the Israelites. And if you keep going and keep moving forward, there will be this moment where you realize he was with me on that journey. He was there in that moment, in that place, where I didn't want to be at all. The story of Deuteronomy ends. Moses dies before the people get into the promised land. A new leader comes. 
And as, as the book of Deuteronomy ends, uh, there's this idea that a new Moses is going to come, a new leader is going to rise up to lead the people. And so all throughout the Old Testament, uh, or all throughout the Old Testament, there's uh, prophecies, there's uh, this idea that a Messiah is going to come. And for many, there's this expectation that like a new Moses is going uh, to rise up. If you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter six in the New Testament. John chapter six, all the way over in the book of John. John chapter six, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. In the New Testament, in the gospels, Jesus is often presented as a new kind of Moses as a new kind of leader for the people of God. Except Jesus is not coming to lead people from one geographical piece of land to another piece of geographical land. He's coming to lead them in a deeper sense, in a spiritual sense, out of one kingdom into a new kind of kingdom. Out of an old creation into a new creation because the old creation has a death problem. He's calling people into a new kind of covenant, a new kind of way of relating to God. And Moses is on the, the Mount Rushmore for Israel. He's up there with David as one of these great heroes of the faith. But one of the expectations is when the Messiah comes, he's going to be like a new kind of Moses. And so in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, in particular, Jesus is presented as a, as a type of Moses. Uh, for example, he goes into the wilderness, hint, hint, uh, for 40 days, hint, hint. And uh, this bread test gets reenacted. Jesus is starving. Satan comes to him with a stone and says, if, uh, if you uh, really are God, turn this into a piece of bread. And what does Jesus do? He quotes Deuteronomy 8, uh, what Moses said, man does not live on bread alone. So there's this idea that Jesus is this new leader for the people of God, carrying them in a new place. In John, Jesus uh, feeds 5,000 people and he feeds them with what? Bread. Everybody knows the 9.30 service is the smartest one. He feeds them with bread. The 11 o'clock is very jealous of you. Uh, he feeds them with bread. And he feeds them with fish. And so this bread image is wrapped up in all kinds of things for the people of God. Then Jesus, uh, he feeds the 5,000 with bread and with fish. And then he walks across a lake, like you do, and... He rejoins the disciples on the, other, on the other side of the lake and they have this discussion with Jesus. Verse 25, John chapter six, verse 25. We'll place it on the screens as well. When they found him, so he's just done the bread miracle. When they found him on the other side of the lake, which he's walked across, they asked him, oh, Rabbi, when did you get here? I took a shortcut. Verse 26. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, a direct reference to manna, but for food that endures to eternal life, a direct reference to himself, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. 
And so uh, they were coming to Jesus with this expectation, are you going to do uh, what Moses did? Are you gonna feed us with the manna? He'd done this bread uh, miracle, and and so they're coming to him. There was this expectation that when the Messiah came, he was going to reenact the bread miracle. And so when Jesus feeds the 5,000 with bread and fish, there's this sense, are you the one? Are you going to feed us? Is this the sign that we've been waiting for? Uh, the prophet Jeremiah, it was one of the Jewish fables that Jeremiah had hidden and buried some bread, uh, some manna uh, from the Moses era uh, when the Babylonians destroyed the temple. And so when the Messiah came, he was going to reenact and re, uh, redo this, this bread miracle. And so after Jesus feeds the 5,000, uh, they're expecting another, another miracle. They're expecting uh, another moment where they are fed. So they're following Jesus around like he's mama bird. Are you, are you going to feed us? Are you going to keep doing that? And Jesus is telling them that miracle, the 5,000 feeding, it was about bread, but it wasn't about bread. It was about something new, and it's not going to be manna. There's something new that has entered into the world, a new way that God is meeting his people and providing for them as he carries them where he wants them to go. He says this in verse 28. Then they asked him, what must we do? to do the works God requires. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they're saying, well, is more bread gonna come down from heaven? And Jesus is going, no, no, no. God has not sent some bread from heaven. He has sent somebody from heaven. He has not given you uh, more bread to sustain you on a journey. He's given you somebody. He's given you his son from heaven. This is a different time for the people of God. And then he says this, in verse 30, so they asked him, what sign, then will you do? what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. It is as, as it is written, uh, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they come to him, what sign are you going to do? Apparently feeding 5,000 people was not enough. It's a tough crowd. Jesus says this in verse 32. Very truly, I tell you, It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus calls himself the bread of life. There's not gonna be another man a miracle. I am what God has said to sustain you on this journey of where God is calling you to go. At one point, Jesus tells his disciples, uh, when you pray, pray for your daily bread. Every step of the journey as Jesus leads and guides you, pray for this sustainer, this giver of life to meet you where you are because God's carrying you somewhere. I think oftentimes when we talk about what it means to be a Christian, we talk about the moment we were saved. We talk about the day we became a Christian, January 8th, 1994, whatever the date was. Uh, and that moment, having that moment in time is beautiful. Uh, but, but becoming a Christian, it's not a one-time event. 
It's, it's a one-time event in the sense that you pray and invite Jesus into your life, but that's not the ending of the story where we just check a box and say, well, I'm going to heaven when I die. It's the beginning of a journey of following Jesus. Yes, that was the moment when you entered into salvation and life with God, but it's not the end of the story. It's the beginning of a journey of becoming a different kind of person. It's the beginning of a journey of praying every day, be my daily bread, be the bread of life that meets me where I am on this journey. And we're not called in Jesus to go from being bad people to being good people. In Jesus, we are called from going to being dead people to being alive people. And every step of the way, Jesus says, I'm going to meet you there, wherever you are on the journey. I will be the bread of life. I will be your daily bread, carrying you to a life lived to the full, as he says in John 10, 10. Every step of the way, I want to lead you into being a less, less anxious kind of person, a more alive kind of person, a more generous person, a less bitter person, a more forgiving person, a person who, who looks more and more like Jesus every day. And I will be your daily bread carrying you there. Maybe you find yourself today wrapped up in mystery and you're going, I don't know what tomorrow is gonna look like. And you find yourself leaving some old pattern that wasn't working for you. And Jesus says, I will meet you on this unfamiliar ground that you're standing on. Maybe you're, you're the person that says, I can't believe I'm actually going to church. It's been 20 years. What am I doing here? There's gonna be lightning bolts coming. <laughs> Maybe you're going, I can't believe I'm actually in a life group. I can't believe I'm actually getting baptized. I can't believe I'm actually spending money on something other than myself. God will meet you here. It says, I will be the bread of life carrying you. And it's not just wandering, you're actually going somewhere. I'm actually carrying you somewhere. Don't go back into the old destructive way of life. I am actually carrying you towards being more alive, more like Jesus and you're actually going somewhere. Maybe you find yourself wrapped up in today and there's this longing for yesterday. That was when life was good. That was, when the kids were with us, man, that was when it was good. When, in the old days, and it's not that you can't celebrate or mourn uh, the good times, but there's this sense that that was when God was with us. And, and you're in today, maybe for, for you, praying for your daily bread is this reminder that your best days are not behind you. God still has work for you to do and he's still carrying you somewhere. And it doesn't mean that you don't miss the good times. It just means that where you are in today, daily bread can meet you there. And it's this reminder that if you still have breath in your lungs, God still has work for you to do in this world and you're still going somewhere. Daily bread. He says, I will meet you every step of the journey and I'm carrying you out of death into life, into being a more alive version of yourself. More generous, more loving, more giving. Don't go back to the old way of living. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for uh, the scriptures. I thank you for the story that you've given us. And their story is our story. We often just wanna go back to the way things were. But God, you're calling us forward, every single one of us. And I pray for some of us, uh, maybe that's here today, and they can't even believe they're in church. They're high school friends, they're college friends. Their ex-wife would be shocked to know that they're here. And I just pray, God, would they just uh, be filled today with the bread of life? They're coming to you hungry. 
And they've gone to a lot of things in the past that didn't work. And your promise is, I will meet you there and I will be your daily bread. I will be the bread of life that sustains you. God, you're carrying them somewhere. Would they remain on the journey? God, I pray for somebody that's here and they live with the sense every day that their best days are behind them. Yesterday, that was when it was good. Thank you for the Exodus story, this reminder that the wilderness isn't where you've led us just to starve. It's a necessary road to get somewhere. And our best days, if there's still breath in our lungs, our best days can still be in front of us. We thank you for this picture. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the bread of life. Would we pray today? Would we move today with the sense that you are the bread of life, the daily bread that we need? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.